Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. My name is Tony, and today is episode 120 of the podcast. I am so excited today to sit down with author, speaker, and pastor to so many, Marion Jordan Ellis. She's got a brand new resource out called For His Glory, and she's the host of this Redeemed Life podcast. I love the conversation that Marion and I get into uh, as we talk about what it means to live out our faith. We talk about old operating systems. We talk about renewal. We talk about relationships and prayer and how do we believe what God says about us. So we get into some really great stuff in this conversation. And if you enjoy this conversation, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes, and maybe even share this episode with a friend. Those are three action steps you can take right now to help spread the word about what God is doing through this platform. Also, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we are a partner with Spirit and Truth. And I am so thankful for the work that we get to do together part of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. To find out more and to support Spirit and Truth, check them out, spiritandtruth.life. So now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Marion Jordan Ellis. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have today author, speaker, podcaster extraordinaire, Marion Jordan Ellis. Marion, thank you so much for being here. Tony, it's my pleasure. I begged and barred and stole to be here. It's so exciting. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to jump into your uh, your brand new resource for His Glory, and it's it's about a study on the book of Ephesians. And so I, I was curious, why Ephesians? Why does somebody like all of a sudden say, "Hey, God's calling me to write a book on Ephesians"? How does that happen? Well, Tony, one of my passions is, you know, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And my own story is really, I came to Christ out of a ton of brokenness. I was deep in sin. I had walked in the darkness and really my identity had been shaped by abuse that was done to me. My identity was shaped by the world that I lived in. And even though I came to Christ and I loved Jesus, I was still living and operating kind of under an old operating system. And what God did did was he used the truths in Ephesians to rewire my thinking, to help me to see myself as he sees me, to help me understand who I am in Christ, the power I have in the Holy Spirit, really our purpose to live for God's glory. And so honestly, I came to know firsthand that when Jesus says the truth sets you free, that's what happened. And Ephesians was one of the primary uh, tools from God's word that he used to really transform my life. Now, you you mentioned the idea of an old operating system. I think that there are probably a lot Mm -hmm. of us who are listening who who may feel that but aren't exactly sure how to name it. If if, if you're going to look at someone's life, how do we know if we're operating in an old, old system that says, yeah, you know, I know who Jesus is. I believe that, you know, who Jesus is, but I'm not quite living in his operating system. How do we know if we're in that spot? You know, um. 
I love how first John puts it. First John says, perfect love cast out fear. Hmm. And if I can look at how I was operating before the perfect love of Christ rewired me from the inside out, I would say I was really shackled to some old identities. Uh, first of all, because of the abuse of my childhood and the trauma I faced, I believed that I was usable and unwanted. Abandonment and then abuse, really those two things really uh, wired my thinking. And then growing up, uh, living outside of God's will, the darkness that I was walking in also uh, programmed my mind to believe false things about God, which all sin does. And so coming to Christ, I think we can recognize that we're operating under a faulty way of thinking and how we view God and view ourselves. And so what happens in the renewal of the mind is that we begin to see God rightly. So there are, there's affection for God. We receive the love of God. We're able to abide and extend his love to others. But where there's a faulty operating system happening, we're not seeing the fruit of the spirit. We're not operating in the freedom that Christ says that is ours. We're still living under the shackles of shame and insecurity and fear and rejection. Those things are operating rather than what God says should be operating in our life, which is his joy, his peace, his love, his kindness. All of those things should be operating and they should be evident. And anywhere that we're not um, in freedom displaying God's fruit and love and all of those things, then we can go back and go, there's something wrong in either how I'm thinking, which what using a churchy word, the Bible calls that a stronghold. And so what I'm doing in this study is, hey, let's let's acknowledge what these strongholds are and uh, let's address them, but let's address it by using God's word to dismantle that. So um, obviously this book wasn't written when you renewed your mind and you tackled some of your strongholds. I'm curious, how did you go about that path in your own life of saying, you know, I'm going to be this I'm going to be this new creation. I'm going to step into this renewal of the mind. How did that play out in your story? Well, let me use another biblical example. We're switching our metaphors a lot here, but I think your <laughs> listeners can track with us. Um, so you know the story when uh, the Israelites, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 sure. years, and yeah. it's finally time for them to go into the promised land. And I think of the promised land as like this metaphor for this life in Christ that we're supposed to have, okay? It's the abundant, victorious, overcoming, fruit-filled life. That's a, kind of a picture there. Well, they're coming out of the wilderness, so there's an element of faith to cross that Jordan River and go into the promised land. But then the first thing they encounter is the stronghold of Jericho. Now, in my life, I would compare that stronghold of Jericho like this uh, these strongholds in my mind that said, I am unlovable, I am usable, I am unworthy. It's a mental block that keeps me from living in God's will, just as the stronghold of Jericho kept the people of God from entering and taking the promised land. And so what God had the people do is he had them circle that city six times for one time each day for six days. And then on the last day, on the seventh day, they did it 17 times. So 13 times, I'm getting to my point, 13 times they circled the city. Now, when I look back on my own journey, what I see is sometimes God has us 
or allows us to keep coming up against the same thing over and over again so that we can recognize, hey, here is what my stronghold is. And for me, I continually was seeing the same destructive fruit in my life Mm -hmm. that did not line up with the victorious, abundant life that Christ had promised. For example, I continued to see, hey, I'm a born-again woman. I know God's word, but I am I am shackled by this insecurity and this these feelings of rejection. So the question is, where is that coming from? And it, it was almost like a Jericho in my life. Oh, wow. Why is this stronghold here? And so as I would circle it and circle it through relationships and through prayer and through biblical counseling, God began to show me the root of this stronghold is wounding that happened as a little girl. So I needed to, number one, I needed to forgive. But number two, I had to start believing more of what God said about me, which is his truth, than I did what the circumstances of my childhood said about me. And so there was this active replacing the truth, replacing the lie with truth, which is in turn tearing down that stronghold, which if you look back at the story of Joshua, that's exactly what they did. They obeyed God's word. And they blew that ram's horn, okay, which is a shout of victory. And those walls came crumbling down. And spiritually, we can see that happening in our own lives when we begin to walk in God's truth, walk in God's truth and saying, this is who I am. And then that ram's horn is just a picture of worship. It's a picture of declaring out loud, um, I have a good, good father and I'm loved by him and I, I belong to Jesus. And so, and Using that metaphor, I think it's for me, it's always helpful to see that because that's what happens in our life when we begin to really replace those lies with God's truth. I'm curious if there was a lie that you think most people need to start with. Do you have any have any thoughts on what those would be? I'm not sure if there's I'm, I know it's not one size fits all, right? Like it's not, hey, there's one there's one lie that we all should start with or, or maybe there is. I haven't really thought much about it, but I wonder if there's a jumping off point for most people who might feel kind of stuck in a stronghold. Mm. You know, I'm spending a lot of time in the Gospel of John right now and when I think about what Paul teaches in Ephesians and then what we hear Jesus teaching, the number one lie, I believe men or women, 80 years old or 18 years old, here's the number one. I believe most people at the core of their being battle with the lie that says they're unlovable. But the key to actually living out our life in Christ is knowing that we're the beloved. And so when Jesus has his last night with his disciples, and he knows he's about to be crucified, he knows he's going to be with the Father, he over and over, 11 times in John 15, he says, remain in my love, remain in my love, remain in my love. So when we look at the opening of Ephesians, which is what I wrote this Bible study about, renewing our minds, Paul starts with you are chosen. You're not rejected. You are wanted. You are adopted. And then he goes, you are God's beloved. And I think that's so hard for some people, for especially it was for me, to really believe because here's the lie. We believe God's love is based on merit and it's mm. not. Or we believe God's love is based on, you know, 
well, that's similar to merit, but our performance that day. But God's love is rooted for us in Christ, which is unchanging. And so the more we really begin to comprehend this and own this, the more loved we feel because we know it's not about us. And that's where we talked about just a minute ago, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love brings freedom. Perfect love transforms us. And that's why Jesus just said, come to me, remain in me, abide in my love. And then out of that overflow, your life is going to be fruitful. It's not striving. It's not performing. It's just knowing you're the beloved. I'm the root of the love. And from this root, there's going to be great fruit. That's beautiful. And I would imagine there's a ton of fruit in studying that kind of thing. I, I'm curious, uh, practically speaking, you've you've got three kids that range in age. How has learning about God's love and and uh, and the study that you've done in Ephesians, how has it changed the way that you parent? Or has it? Hmm. Well, you know, what's interesting, I, I served as an evangelist for many years. I, I didn't get married till I was 38. So I spent about 10 years of my life traveling to college campuses. Uh, that was, you know, early years of my ministry, sharing the gospel. And I really telling women um, how Jesus had rescued me and loved me. And I remember um, I married my husband and I became a, a, a stepmom, a bonus mom, and uh, really just fell in love with these kids and began to experience love on a different level and understanding mm-hmm. the heart of the father on a different level. And on November 9th, 2016, when they laid my daughter on my chest, and the weight of that, mm. one of my first words to my husband, I said, I don't think I understood the gospel till this moment. Wow. The, the love of the father that he would sacrifice his son for me, mm. is it is so profound and it's so deep and it's so shattering that I looked back on years of ministry and I'm like, did I even get it up until this moment? You know, and so parenthood has changed so much for me. I think it's been, you know, you and I talked before the show that we're both Enneagram, Enneagram eights, we're these, you know, strong leaders, you know, all of those things, but it's brought a softness to a receiving the heart of God that I think I needed to be shaped by. And um, it's helped me understand, and which I'm growing in, how to love them better with God's love. You know, I'm daily failing and daily trying to <laughs> to do that better by the Holy Spirit. So. Uh, yeah, amen. I, I think the hardest part for me is that sometimes I want to take all my eightness and I want to bring it into parenthood. And my daughter, mm. who is this, who, who I love dearly, she's my princess. She is... She's she's not taking the Enneagram, but I believe my wife and I really believe that she's a one on the Enneagram. And so mm-hmm. her inner critic is already so strong that if I come in with any criticism, it goes straight to tears. And I, I'm kind of loud anyway. And so it's it's yeah. uh, it she she really makes me a much better human, I think, most days. And I, I that's probably true for most of yeah. our kids, right? Yeah, yeah. My husband's a one as well, so he's a one too. And so I have to always because I'm just like a, a truth speaker, like this is yeah. this, and realize that's coming into a sensitive place to a one who, you know, they take all that very personally. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Uh, straight. No chaser topic doesn't on Enneagram. Work. Right. <laughs> right. Yes, uh, exactly. Exactly. One of the things that you, you talk about in the book is that the, the church is God's masterpiece, you know, and, and it's, yes. um, and it's, I love that idea. I'm curious um, we didn't 
Yeah, I mean, you probably started writing this uh, many, many months ago, and now here we are, and it's coming out in, in the hopefully what is the tail end of COVID, um, and yet what we're seeing is this incredible. Um, it feels like shifting of the church. I'm wondering if you have some mm-hmm. thoughts on that and what that looks like in light of what you're, what you've studied and, and what you see currently. Yeah. So I will tell you, I'm a big fan of, um, God's church, big mm-hmm. C, um, and the church in my life has been a hospital. It's been a community. And in studying Ephesians, I think I came away with a deeper uh, theological understanding of how important the church is to God's global plan. Hmm. Um, and if we look at, you you, missed, you mentioned the word masterpiece. So Ephesians 1, Paul's explaining our identity. Ephesians 2, he's telling us from our our perspective, we were dead, and then God makes us alive. And then he goes on to describe God and his grace as this glorious artist who redeems us, forms us as this one body, the church. And this this church is his masterpiece on display to show the world his glory. And so as I've looked at the pandemic, and I've looked at how really throughout church history, the church should not be here. But Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And I've become, in my own life, more passionate, more convinced that God's plan for healing this broken world and for redeeming people is through His body, the church. And we must fight against the division that is happening. There is a there is a war against the bride right now. And it's happening internally through the little stupid things. My daughter would tell me not to use the word stupid. But um, if you read Twitter for any amount of time, some of these things that people are fighting about, there is no other word. And what we're doing is dividing the body of Christ. And there's a war on the outside as well. Of course, there's some some of your listeners are in cities and places where their government is saying you can't meet, you can't sure. gather. And that's an outside war. But the one we can control is the inside war. And I need to know politically across the aisle, if that person claims the name of Jesus, that's my brother or sister. And I need to find some common ground of unity because the unity of the church is the way that we are going to bring about revival in this world, that we are going to be able to um, be the the hands and feet that God's called us to be and to be the, the city set on the hill because the darkness is only increasing and the people's need and hunger for Christ uh, is going to increase. But if we're not shining as we're meant to be, uh, then we're not doing our job. I'm curious, just from your experience, you, you went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, come, kind of coming out of a Baptist tradition. Has it been hard to be um, a female preacher in the Baptist tradition? I, I mean, I, I know that sometimes that can be uh, ed- edgy. I, I don't know what that, I'm not in the Baptist tradition, so we're Methodist over here. We uh, and we have our own, whew, we have lots of things going on over here, but I'm curious kind of what your experience is like and, and has that, uh, caused you to double down on your love for the church? So I'm very, uh, I would say non-denominational, uh, okay. my, my Bible studies published by Methodist publishing house, but I, I that, yeah. attend a, a, a Baptist, uh, church. Um, I, I, I love the body of Christ as a whole. And um, as a woman, I do 
I do hold to probably more traditional viewpoints about a women's role. And, and thankfully, I've always been in churches um, since I said yes to Jesus that have encouraged me and delighted in the spiritual gifts that God has given me. Now, that is not that is not every woman's situation. I've always been in churches where I've been called to teach, I've been called to preach, I've been called to minister, and that has been great. Um, So I have not experienced what a lot of women and what you would consider traditional Southern Baptist churches, some of the complaints that maybe you're describing. I've not had that. Um, So I I can't speak to that perspective. I will always, and I I would probably say I've been under very biblically conservative churches but who also say, you know what, a woman has every right to teach the word as you know anyone else. So I, that's the that those are the circumstances that I've lived in. Um, but I also, I also am called to teach women. So I'm not in a place where um, I, I really has early on sensed God really anointing me and calling me to really minister into the very specific places that women are wounded, where they've been looking for love and all the wrong places where they need to know Jesus. So it's not been a conflict in my spirit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really had to struggle with that as much. Oh, praise God. Right. Like, I, I think that's a, that's a tremendous gift. And I think it's good for us to hear it because I think it is important to hold a lot of that stuff in tension when we, cause you know, we only hear the really bad stuff, but there's also probably so much good stuff happening in the church. And so I think oh. that that's a, that's a great testimony. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I came to Christ at age 25 under, um, it was at a, a Southern Baptist church, but you would never know it from the outside. They don't put that on the sure, billboard right. or anything. <laughs> um, and the pastor, you know, was one of those kind of old school, you know, real strong Bible teaching. And it was under his, you know, church that I was told, Hey, you go and teach, you go be an evangelist, you go. I I mean, so I've had really incredible men uh, who have had pastoral leadership roles over me, who have, uh, you know, looked at my life and said, this is what God's anointing you to do. And you go do just as Jesus said to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, Hey, go tell the brothers. And so, um, I do think there's a lot of bashing of men in culture and a bashing of the church. Uh, so I want to speak up and say, Hey, there have been really great pastors and really great churches out there who have not, you know, diminished me as a woman who have not, you know, they haven't been bad dudes, you know? So yeah. I think we don't hear those stories enough. Uh, one of the things I love the way uh, w- when I listen to you preach and teach, um, it, it really does sound like you have this tremendous relationship with God. And and I love that and and all of my teachers. And so I'm curious, what are some of the things that you do to keep your relationship with God strong on a regular basis? What are some of your like go-to disciplines, got to do this, you know, that kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, my... And I don't take that for granted because I know all of our hearts can harden Mm. through the world and sin at any time. But my first real like guttural prayer to God was give me a heart to love you more than anything else in this world. Mm. That was my first prayer. And um, I, because I understood I'm going to live a hundred percent for whatever I love most. And so 
I went through a season where Jesus really removed things from my life that I loved more from him, more than him. And that, that, that sounds painful, by the way, was a beautiful thing. <laughs> it was, it was, but from that brokenness, uh, um, I, I discovered that Jesus is my all in all. Hmm. And so my daily practices right now, as cliche and simple as they sound, if I get two days removed from the word of God, I can sense my heart getting hard and I can sense my sensitivity to the spirit getting, uh, getting dull. Um, but also, um, just confession of sin, Mm. having people in my life, dear friends, my spouse, people that when I have blown it, which is often I can turn to and say, not that they're my high priest or anything, but I just need someone that I can go to and say, listen, um, I, I need to repent of this. I need you to hear this because this is not okay. And so, you know, keeping short accounts with God and others and just the word of God. And I listen to a lot of great teachers and um, I love uh, the Dwell Bible app because I'm listening to the word all the yeah. time. And you're a parent, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to sit down sure. and just read big chunks. Um, but, you know, those two simple things are you know, they are that what Jesus said earlier, that abide, remain in me, abide, remain in me and making sure just as if I don't talk to my spouse every day, that relationship's going to have some distance. The same thing is with Christ. I have to stay in that close communion with him. Now, as I look at this uh, study in Ephesians, I'm like, wow, you, you did a ton of study on this. Um, what's your process in getting so deep into one book? Because it uh, even even. Like it, that feels overwhelming to me, and and I study the Bible uh, pretty regularly for to you know to preach on the weekends. But this all, I mean, you just in depth, solid study here. How, how does that how does that work in your rhythms and in your life, and what's that process like? So when I'm getting ready to write something like this, currently I'm writing John, and um, a couple years ago is when I wrote this Ephesians study. Um, I first I'll sit with the book for you know, a couple of weeks and just read as the whole, read it as a whole. Mm. And then I'll look and ask the Holy Spirit to show me how to break it down into its natural points, because our chapter and verse divisions don't always um, flow well with the flow of thought that the author um, is trying to make. And so I'll just, I'll sit with it as a whole for a while, just marinate in it, marinate in it. And then I'll break down that book. So if it was Ephesians, breaking it down into six weeks and then five days per week, and then just breaking that down. And then my process is, as I'll take, so I sit in that day's homework. And what I do is just meditate on those few passages for the day. And then I'll look up the key words, the context, the history, and then I'll write that day's homework based on what I've studied in my own Bible study, and then invite women into Mm. that. And, you know, for a lot of women who don't have a seminary background, or they don't know how to use concordances or those type of tools, I try to bring that to the study for them so they can have that same experience, but in their, you know, 25 minute um, Bible study. And and one of the things that I appreciate um, about the way that this book is written, it's it's very interactive, right? It's a, it's a workbook that's designed for you to do the work in there. Um, I also notice that it's, it, it looks like it's, really easily set up for groups in your kind of in your experience, how important is it for us to study scripture with other people, um, you know, with kind of 
you know, more assistance than just us and our, our quiet time important, but this is probably even a little deeper than that, isn't it? Well, um, I love that you said that because that kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, And the women that have gone through this study so far, what I'm hearing is as they're processing through these truths and then they're meeting in their small groups or their Bible studies, that's where they can then go, hey, I don't feel like God's masterpiece. When I read this, that's a struggle Mm -hmm. for me to believe. And then they can talk about it with other women and let's find the root of, okay, what lie am I believing? Believing. And so I think anytime we can process God's truth in community, it, it bears a lot more fruit. So yeah, the study was designed for women to do in churches or small groups and things like that. But I think the, the, the fruit of that is that as we're transparent with each other, as we talk about these things, it's not in isolation. And anytime we bring something from the darkness to the light, you know, we're going to have freedom. Yeah, and and that that probably is a communal effort most of the time, bringing something from the darkness to the light, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, in my own life, uh, God really surrounded me with some amazing women that as I was going through my own journey of you know, recognizing those strongholds, recognizing the lies I believed, you know, they would be voices of truth to say, hey, that's not who God says you are. Or, you know what, this area of your life, you're really still operating in that old operating system. We need to start thinking about yeah. this a different way, you know, so we need each other. And that's a huge part of Ephesians that, you know, Paul spends almost two chapters talking about the body of Christ and how we're better together and that we're not supposed to do this alone. So, you know, it's a huge part, that community aspect. Well, one of the things that you write about in the workbook is this idea of a a spirit-filled life. Yes. And I think that that's something that a lot of Christians are striving for, right? And and yet life feels super heavy and and overwhelming at times. Uh, What what do you, I mean, I I circled the word abide, um, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts on how do we, how do we take steps to live a spirit-filled life and And really, how do we know if we're doing it? You know, so what's interesting is the spirit-filled life is exactly opposite of the word we just used, which is striving. The spirit-filled life is one that we are surrendered. It's not striving, it's surrendered. Mm. So in Ephesians 5, Mm. 18, Paul gives this incredible example. I don't know if you have uh, an addiction background like I do. Sounds like you were pretty... um, I had... I definitely had an addiction background, but Paul uses this analogy to drunkenness. And he says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Amen. But instead be filled with the spirit. So that word filled is being paralleled to the word drunk. Because what Paul is Hmm. saying here is whatever fills you controls you. So just as someone with my background, I was filled with substances or tequila or whatever it was, I was then controlled by that thing. And likewise, as a believer, when I am filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm under the operating and control of the Holy Spirit. That is why we call it being under the influence. So how am I under the influence of the Spirit? It's by yielding and surrendering. And so every day, I am yielding and surrendering my life to Him. And then in moment by moment, temptation. I'm yielding and surrendering my life to the Spirit because every believer 
has the flesh, which is our old operating system. It's our old man. And we have the spirit who indwells us, who empowers us. And so when we choose to yield and surrender to the spirit, that's when we will begin to bear the fruit of the spirit and the life of the spirit. Let me ask you this. Uh, what 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 does a, a practical example of yielding to the spirit look like, like on a random Tuesday? Oh, I love this. So random Tuesday, my husband comes home from work and we have, you know, those marriage conversations. And in the midst <laughs> of those marriage conversations, my flesh or my, my sin may want to dominate, control, belittle, or just come at my husband with, you know, a tone that is not kind. Now the Holy Spirit in me, who wants to have love, joy, peace, patience, I am facing a choice in every conversation. Am I going to surrender to my flesh right now, which feels maybe entitled to be snappy, maybe feels entitled to have my way or entitled to do what I want? Or and I'm going to take a deep breath and say, Holy Spirit, Help me respond with kindness. Holy Spirit, help me put this person as more important than myself. Holy Spirit, help me love here. Or Holy Spirit, help me shut up. And so when I do that, Jesus called the Holy Spirit our helper. And supernaturally in that moment, standing at the kitchen, when I take a breath and ask the Holy Spirit to take over, he does. And it's amazing. Mm. And I can tell you countless times of in that moment, Jesus says, you always have that moment. You can choose to operate in the flesh, which is going to be stubborn and prideful and selfish and all of those things of our old simple nature. Or I can take a breath and say, Holy Spirit, help me. And he's going to give me the response. He's going to show up in the moment. He's going to do what my flesh does not want to do, you know? And sometimes that's dying to my pride. Sometimes that's dying to being right. Sometimes that's saying something that I naturally would not say that is going to bring the situation to calm and peace. And so that's when we get to show, see God show up and be real, you know? It's in those moments that we surrender to the Spirit. That's beautiful. And I think it's a, I, I think most of us have that kind of internal, uh, check, check, you know, where it's like, yeah. this is not going to end well, like w- w- the words that are coming out of my mouth are not going to help anything that is productive in my marriage in my parenting in my work. Right. That's, uh, is that the spirit kind of, you know, to ad- advocating on our behalf to, you know, shut up or whatever we need to do there. I love that you use that word check. Because I believe, well, first of all, every Christ follower has the Holy Spirit. That's not an that's not like a special group of people. Every Christ follower, and the Holy Spirit is a person who is in us. And he is speaking and leading and guiding. And so we grow in our sensitivity to his leading and guiding and promptings. And as we are sensitive, then there for everybody has a different way. But for me, there's a check in my spirit. When I'm about to say something that is maybe unkind or untruthful or is going to be hurtful, I'll feel this little nudge in my my gut, like, don't go there. And the more I learn to tune into that voice, the more I pay attention, the more my discernment of the spirit and what Paul calls in Ephesians, the ability to walk in the spirit, the more that grows. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's also something we have to be aware of 
of when we harden our hearts to the voice of the spirit, our ears are not as sensitive. And so we need to have that lifestyle of when we have sinned, when we have dishonored God, when we have um, been hurtful or whatever it is, the quick, God, forgive me, Holy Spirit, help me, you know, keeping that conversation going, because this is a relationship. It's a relationship and we need the Lord. We can't do this on our own. You know, if if I could live the perfect Christian life on my own, A, Jesus would never have died and B, he would have never sent the Holy okay. Spirit. But clearly I can't do it. And that's why I need him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I, I think the other other part to that is is that not only will the Holy Spirit stop you from continuing in sin, but will also propel you to do something that you never would have thought of on your own. Amen. You know, and and I I find that yeah, I find that 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 oftentimes that little nudge that I get, which is almost like the opposite of a check, but it feels the same way. Mm-hmm. That nudge is to go and do something like, oh, hey, you should go over and talk to that person. Yes. You should go pray for that person. Yes. It happened to me the other day and I blatantly ignored it and I had to repent later because I knew that I ignored the Holy Spirit. I was not in the mood to go pray with people. Mm. And it was, uh, and I had to confess and repent later. And And I think, but I think that the Holy Spirit right, propels us, you know, as Paul says, to walk in the spirit, right? Yeah. Tony, I'm so glad you said that because it is something we grow in. And, you know, there's so much Mm. grace and God, you know, it's like we have kids. When your kid is learning to walk, you're not shaming them because they're not running a marathon the next day. You know, you're like, good job, keep going. And so, you know, there is, there's grace for the growth, but also if we don't grow, we miss out. The greatest adventure in life is that I have the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead living in me, who gives me eyes to see the world as he does, who is going to show me things. And I get to be a part of this. Life is a lot more fun than just watching Netflix. We get to be part of what the (laughs) King of glory is doing on earth. And when we operate with the Holy Spirit and listen to those promptings and listen to him, we get to do that. That's what's so cool. Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, I, okay. I also have in my notes, I really want to ask you about this redeemed life podcast. Sure. Uh, I, I, the people who are listening here, they love podcasts. What are they going to get when they subscribe, which I think you should go do right now. Go ahead and subscribe to this redeemed life podcast with Mary and Jordan Ellis. What are they going to get when they subscribe? So my, my heart is I really want to equip people to know the word, but also what we're just talking about, I want you to know how on your daily life to walk in the power of the spirit. And so a lot of conversations, just like the one we just had in the last five minutes, this is what it looks like in this situation. This is what the truth is in this situation. And this is what it looks like to walk in the spirit in this situation. And I'm going verse by verse through scripture. So right now we're still going through Ephesians verse by verse and then we'll be going through something else after that. So we're going to be unpacking. So, you know, you're going to be diving into context, history, all of that, but then taking it home to our kitchens and to our workplaces. And really, how do I live this redeemed life in 2021, in the middle of a pandemic? How do I live this life? Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, I'm curious if I could ask a, a, a personal question for me. Um, what, what do I need to know about um, ministering to the women in the world today that, uh, from your perspective that maybe most male pastors don't know? I think there's such a 
not a cookie cutter definition for what a woman in this world is today anymore. You know, um, the there's such a broad range of different experiences and colors. And I've entered some churches one time and you can tell that they have a very narrow view of this is what a woman is. And if a woman doesn't fit that, then they don't know how to minister to her. And I just think getting out of our bubbles and recognizing um, there are women serving in the military, there are women serving at home, there are women who are right now nurses on the front line treating, you know, the worst and worst of COVID cases. Um, And at the same time, women do not escape the, the burden of motherhood. And I don't mean burden in a bad Mm. thing is that women have every possible responsibility. Yeah. We can do anything, but also that very heavy, the home is still so much of our heart and priority. And so I, I just think, um, you know, for a pastor, um, it sounds like you are very much have an open door anyway, but realizing your women are in just so many different places. And for most women, they are just, just struggling to carry it all on their shoulders. And, um, honestly, Jesus doesn't want us to carry all on our shoulders, but there's just so many things in a world where women have been told you can have it all. You can be it all when we buy into that, which is some of that's not bad, but it, there's just a lot to carry at the end of the day. And so I believe women are exhausted. Um, I believe they are fighting to um, just to do it all. Um, and then also the temptations, the, I think the same temptations men are battling on so many fronts, the women are battling as well. That's a, that's a really good word. And I think you spoke to me not only as a pastor, but also as a husband, just a really good reminder. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for asking. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Well, I know that uh, so many of my listeners are going to want to follow you all over the interwebs. And I have one more question for you. But before we get to that, um, where is the best place for them to learn more about you and your ministry and this redeemed life and all the all the things to know about um, about what God is doing through you? Super easy. Everything is at thisredeemlife.org. That's my website. And so you can find links to the podcast there. You can find I have tons of sermons on YouTube, but they're all linked there as well. Um, all of my Bible studies and resources. And then I'm on social media under This Redeemed Life. So you can find me on Instagram. I don't TikTok. I don't even know what TikTok is. I'm so old. Um, but no, I'm not going to be on TikTok. And But everything else TikTok you can find either. me on. <laughs> this Redeemed Life. I have a TikTok just account, have... but only so that I can watch my kids. <laughs> well, I'll watch my oldest. My younger two aren't even on it yet. I so. think I need to get one just so someone else doesn't use my name. But I have this like, I don't know if it's my age, but I'm like, no one wants me to see me doing this video. Like I don't need to do this. Like, <laughs> I'm just too awkward. Oh, that's, I think that's beautiful. I have like middle school trauma of being like, so like five eleven, and everybody was like four foot seven. And I was already like awkward. I'm like, I'm not putting my awkwardness on TikTok. So. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Uh, okay. okay. TikTok, Last question I always love to ask. They can come to this redeem line. You're all over. Me. Yeah. Yes. 
And we'll link to it all in the show notes too. That'll Thank make you. it that'll make it super easy. We'll link to the website and the podcast and all that jazz. So um okay, last question I always love to ask people is an advice question, right? And you get okay. I'm gonna ask you to give yourself one piece of advice, except um I get to take you back to a very specific time in your life. Okay. And so uh, I'm I'm gonna ask you to give the younger version of yourself uh, a piece of advice the day after you graduated seminary. So you, you graduated seminary, the next day you wake up and I want you to go back and talk to that younger version of Marion Jordan Ellis and, and give her one piece of advice. Marion, you don't know anything. <laughs> I, I, oh, goodness gracious. Um, I would say the number one piece of advice I would have told that seminary graduate is to stay humble and stay dependent on Jesus. Degrees don't tell you anything. And um, everything we need is from that vine branch relationship where we're connected to Christ. And so stay humble, stay dependent. That's it. Amen. Amen. That's so good. Marion, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and for this resource. And uh, I know that so many of my listeners are going to pick it up and it's going to be such a blessing to them. So thank you for what you're doing for, for the kingdom. You too, Tony. Right back at you. You're awesome. I love Marion's heart. Uh, she is just one of those pastors that I think we all need to listen to. I love the way that she kind of nerded out on this study. I think it's so good for so many of us. And uh, the word masterpiece just really stuck out to me in our conversation today, what that means and how we can live that out in our lives. I'm so thankful for all of you being here today. I'm thankful for you listening. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, leave a rating, a review on iTunes. We really are trying to get to 100 reviews by the end of the year. And uh, hey, maybe even share this episode with a friend. It goes a long way in helping others find the podcast. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.